Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, joining the show today from Tunisia. And this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. Today, Dr. Rafael Scopacasa joins the show again on June 14th, 2021. Dr. Scopacasa joined the show and we had a conversation about the ancient civilization of Samnium. And that particular episode was entitled that. So it's entitled, if anyone wants to look it up, Ancient Civilization of Samnium. Today, Dr. Scopacasa joins the show again, and we're going to have a conversation about what scholars know about the Samnites in the Iron Age. And Dr. Scopacasa and I chatted before the show started today, and we uh, agreed that in this context, we're predominantly going to focus in on the 9th to 6th centuries BCE. Dr. Scopacas is a lecturer of history at the University of Minas Gerais, based in Brazil. He's also a, an honorary research fellow at the University of Exeter, based in the UK. He's author of the monograph, Ancient Samnium, Settlement, Culture and Identity Between History and Archaeology, which was published by Oxford University Press. And Dr. Scopacasa joins the show today from Brazil. Welcome back on the show, Rafael. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be back on the show. Great to connect with you again. Raphael. So to create sufficient background, Raphael, and then we'll obviously work our way into the, the, the details. And I don't want to circumscribe this question to any particular period in time. But uh, although and I mentioned in the the um, the intro and we, we chatted a few times a couple times before the show before this episode started, we're going to focus in on the Iron Age. But to create sufficient background and context, can you share who the Samnites were? Right, well, um, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, the, uh, the Samnites are supposed to have been these, um, these very warlike um, communities that inhabited the mountains of central Italy, which are known today as the Apennine Mountains. Um, and they are supposed to have confronted the Roman Republic um, very persistently in the course of the late 4th and early 3rd centuries BC. Um, and the earliest references that we have to the Samnites pertain to the, the late 5th century BC, so slightly earlier than their wars with Rome. Uh, and the, the late 5th century BC is the context when, according to our Greek and Roman writers, uh, the Samnites came down from the mountains of central Italy, where they, where they lived, and invaded the Greek and Etruscan cities of Campania. Uh, but, but our sources don't really tell us who um, these Samnites were, where exactly they were coming from, um, how they had been organized until then, and, and also why they were on the move, apparently, in the late fifth century. So to try and answer these questions, it's helpful to take a step back and sort of look at the long-term context of the region where these so-called Samnites supposedly came from, um, which is a region that our Greek and Roman sources sometimes, well, often refer to as Samnium or um, Samnite country, if you will. So this would be, as I said, the uh, the, the area of the uh, the central Apennine Mountains, which we know today as the Apennine Mountains. Um, so uh, for for you who are familiar with. Uh, the, the geography of Italy, this would comprise uh, the southern portion of the region that's um, currently called Abruzzo, uh, as well as the region of Molise, that sort of general area. 
Um, and uh, so this period before the late fifth century, before we start hearing about the Samnites in the historical sources, is uh, usually known as the Iron Age, um, which according to the established chronology, uh, covers roughly sort of the first half of the first millennium BC. So that would be roughly 1000 to 500 BC. And that's the sort of general time period that uh, I thought I might talk a little bit about uh, today. Okay, sounds good. Um, does So you mentioned the late fifth is the first written citation in the records ab about them um, by, and it sounds like by other sources, not, not, not them. Does anyone else write? So, so that's, that's the earliest. So there's no other later writers who, who write about them either from a historicity perspective or in a tradition perspective. Well, yeah, because you see the sources, uh, the Greek and Roman sources themselves are actually much later than the, the fifth century BC. They're, they're referring to the fifth century BC, but the, the ones that we have, like the, the, the texts that, that actually have come down to us were written uh, from the, should we say, um, late fourth century onwards, like the earliest ones were written, written in the fourth century. Um, so these are later sources uh, that are written in Greek and Latin, so, so they, they're by Greek and Roman authors. Uh, and they refer to the fifth century as the moment when the Samnites appear, as it were, um, in, in the history of, um, of these Greek communities in Italy. You know that by that point, the Greeks had established cities in southern Italy for, for quite some time. Um, so that, that's the sort of general situation. So when we're talking about the Iron Age, uh, what do, and there's not written sources that reference this community, this civilization in, in that period of time, what do scholars predominantly rely on that, then to be able to understand better who these people were and the, the lives they lived? Right, that's an excellent question. Um, uh, so just to, uh, to continue what I, was, um, what I was saying before, which, which pertains to your question. Uh, there's, there isn't really uh, much that we can deduce from the historical record, like the written sources, um, as uh, Samnium, the region of Samnium, isn't really talked about in the Greek and Roman sources as regards the, the, this early period that's known as the Iron Age. We do have, it's important to note that we do have accounts about Italy that, that do cover the, the, the eighth, not so much the ninth, but the eighth, seventh, and sixth centuries BC, that is from 800 to 500 BC. Uh, but these accounts tend to focus more um, on the Greek settlements of Southern Italy that I mentioned just now, uh, such as Tarentum, uh, um, uh, Regium, Naples, and those, those kinds of places. So, uh, and also they focus on the Etruscans and, and of course on Rome, like the history of early Rome. Um, so to understand what was happening in Samnium, we depend almost entirely on archeological evidence. But I'm not talking here about things like stone buildings, palaces, temples, or, or cities even, uh, none of which we, we find or have found to this day um, in the archeological record of um, Iron Age Samnium as we have it. On the other hand, we, um, we do have a quite, a quite a lot in the way of funerary remains, namely cemeteries, 
So we know about five or six cemeteries uh, that are more substantial in size uh, in Samnium, uh, in, in the, uh, the central Apennine mountains, all of which seem to have been used throughout the Iron Age. And in terms, I should, I should um, point out something in terms of chronology. It's often really difficult to be precise when, uh, when we're discussing this kind of material. It all depends on how precisely you can date a given tomb, uh, which is often determined by the kinds of objects, or grave goods, as we call them, uh, that are contained in these tombs. In the case of Iron Age Samium, uh, the, this, this dating of graves has been mostly done in view of these, these grave goods that were deposited in, in, the, uh, in the graves, and which can be dated to particular periods of time based on their style, their shape, um, and also on the kind of decoration that they display. And this can be a very tentative thing to do. Um, and in practice, what normally happens is um, the archaeologists identify different phases of use in a given cemetery, um, with like each phase normally corresponding to a century or so. Now, uh, because there's still a lot of uncertainty as regards these phases, um, in terms of the chronological periods that they correspond to, like the what we call the absolute chronology, like these these dates, you know, 500, 800 BC, and that kind of thing, because it's there's not so much clarity about that yet it's probably safer to, um, for us to work with what I call a low-resolution approach in terms of the chronology of these, uh, uh, these Iron Age cemeteries. And that, that's what I plan on adhering to um, in, uh, in this talk. Nice. Uh, I like that. I like that term. And as a uh, some, someone with a lot of in internet um, ba background, the low resolution, I, uh, yeah. I I understand it. <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So uh, so what would be a a, a typical uh, tomb then? When you say there's there's um, these are these are cemeteries. What are um, what's a typical Samnite tomb? Can you describe that? I can, but before I get to that, I think it's important to clarify why it is that so much of the archaeological evidence from the Iron Age uh, comes from cemeteries and not other types of sites, right? People might be wondering about that. What's so special about the cemeteries? Well, a big reason uh, for this state of affairs is to do with the fact that in the 19th century, in the late 19th century, archaeologists in Italy were very keen to excavate cemeteries in particular because that's where they expected to find what they considered at the time to be the most, shall we say, significant uh, finds, uh, um, and uh, you know, such as you know, great. They were expecting to find grave goods that were particularly lavish or valuable. They, that's the kind of thing they were looking for um, when they excavated. Which is why uh, one reason why cemeteries or or funerary sites, as we call them, uh, were so sought after. Uh, they, um, they had some idea of where these cemeteries were located because in previous centuries, 18th, 17th, 16th, you know, and back into the, into the medieval period, uh, you had these farmers, right, who would often inadvertently stumble uh, upon these ancient graves um, when they were, for example, plowing their fields because Italy is a very tiny place, so there's not much, you know, uh, people tend to sort of um, have to work the same plots of land that have been worked for centuries, that have been occupied for centuries, or millennia even. So this, um, this rush to excavate the cemeteries uh, that, that 
it, it begins in the 19th century and continues into the 20th century as regards Italian archaeology. Um, and it's, um, it's only recently that um, there's been more attention that's been given to these, uh, to these other types of archaeological sites, uh, such as uh, sites of inhabitation or settlements. I can talk a little bit about those maybe towards the end. Um, but in terms of the typical, your typical Iron Age tomb in Samnium, we'd be talking about like an individual, at least as far as um, what's known, right? What's been excavated. So in view of that, your typical Samnite tomb would be an individual pit, like rectangular pit, um, which sometimes you know can be lined with stone slabs, but it can also be just a simple pit with no lining whatsoever. And uh, you have the body that's inhumed, so that means it's placed, you know, uh, um, it's deposited and, and buried. It, it's not cremated, for example. We do have some cremations, but they tend to be the exception, and they tend to show up. Um, they appear to be um, to be more um, prevalent in certain sites uh, as we get, you know, to, towards the end of the Iron Age and uh, into the into the fifth century. So that's the later period. Um, but um, so, so there's not, I mean, uh, the, the, the tombs themselves aren't really very remarkable in terms of their architecture or the kinds of material they contain. It's more about how we interpret uh, the material that we have. And, um, and so there's a, there's a lot that we can, you know, uh, a lot of information that we can try and extract from, uh, from these cemeteries. They, they obviously tell us things about social attitudes or cultural attitudes to death and burial. Uh, but on a deeper level, they also tell us about things like social structure and stratification. Um, for example, in view of the differences in wealth between the tombs, they can tell us about gender roles in terms of the ways in which men and women uh, might receive different kinds of burial treatment uh, with you know, different grave goods being deposited and that kind of thing. They can tell us about attitudes towards children, uh, also in view of the kinds of uh, funerary treatment that children are given, or indeed if they're buried at all, if, if they receive formal burial at all. Um, as well as uh, you know, things like attitudes to family, kinship, wealth, and power, uh, which you know um, is uh, which I, I can I can perhaps talk about a little bit. Well, let's get to yeah, let's get to most or all of these points that you just mentioned there, Raphael. Um, but before before we, we go into some of the details, the, the you mentioned that the tombs are rectangular. Um, how how big is a typical tomb in terms of a a, a, a typical me, me, measurement, a, me, a metric, and right. and is there is there one or typically one or two skeletal skeleton bodies in a tomb, or is there oftentimes a group of people that have been um, buried, inhumed together? Well, based on the information that we have. Um, it would seem that collective burial is not really prevalent in our sample. And it's also, it's, it's always important to remember that what we, you know, the information that we do have is a rather limited sample of what, of what burial practices in the Iron Age um, would have been like. So, so we can't presume to have like the complete picture. But the picture, the fragmentary and incomplete picture that we do have suggests that individual graves, like individual burials, were more, um, more common. 
So you have like people deposited in individual pits, like rectangular pits. In terms of size, uh, well, they vary. They vary a lot. I mean, but but in, on average, I would say, based on the the measurements that I that I'm most familiar with, they sort of vary between a meter and a half and two meters ten, two meters ten centimeters. So that mm-hmm. is, that's more or less of the range. Um, you don't really get any spectacularly big tombs, like I said previously. They tend to be sort of, you know, people-sized, as it were. Um, and um, and the smaller ones are potential indications of, of you know, sub-adults, like um, the, the tombs that are smaller, like a meter a meter long, or or less than that, um, might pro- might have contained um, sub-adults. But the problem there is that the skeletal remains, as you as you pointed out, haven't always been very well preserved. Uh, in some cases, um, you get decomposition because of the, comp- the the terrain, the kind of terrain that people were buried in. Um, the, the bones just decompose, and uh, but but in other cases, it's it's more of the case that the archaeologists who excavated these uh, these cemeteries. Um, some some of these excavations happened in the 19th century when archaeology wasn't really, you know, uh, it was becoming an, a, an area of scientific study, but it wasn't yet completely scientific. So so people would you know be a little amateurish, and uh, and as a result, uh, many of these skeletal remains were simply lost, and we have no hope of recovering them. So so it's when you get like a smaller uh, pit, a smaller rectangular pit, you can't be completely sure that that it was uh, you know it was a child that was uh, that was buried there because uh, because it might have been the case that the body it might have been an adult individual who was who was uh, buried in a in a different sort of position like crouching um or or maybe even dismembered we have cases of, of people who get dismembered um upon burial in other regions of italy but uh, and, and and as far as we know, uh, until now, it's not completely clear, clear that that sort of thing happened in Sa- Iron Age Samhain as well. So yeah, um, uh, so basically the idea is that um, that we uh, we have like the, the measurements are um, as I said they, they sort of vary between between a meter and a half and two meters, and uh, and we don't really see much in the way of collective um, tombs like people being buried together in the same tomb because these these pits are also quite narrow in terms of width they um they sort of they're usually a half a meter long i would say uh half a meter wide sorry and and, and also the depth on the other hand can vary quite a bit uh there's i as i understand it there's um there's a pattern whereby as you get as we get towards the end um, as we get to the end of the Iron Age, what happens in some sites is that the graves start to become deeper. So, um, but that's just a general a general trend, um, which uh, which doesn't you know, it's not present in all of the sites. All the cemeteries that have been found that are verifiably linked to Sam Sam Samnites. Um, are they all in, in, in technically in the mountain range, or are there any that would not be in the mountain range? Most of the ones that I'm referring to, like the ones that I've worked on, are in the mountain range, yeah, the, the mountain area. So, so you have, like, about, like I said, about four or five more substantial ones. And one of the ones that I've 
looked at more consistently is a site called Alfedena, which um, which is it's high up in um, it's in a river valley, um, an area that's known as the Upper Sangro River Valley. So it's it's level terrain, but it's like nestled in the mountains, um, the mountains of southern Abruzzo, like the modern region of Abruzzo. And of course, another really important thing to remember about these cemeteries is uh, is that even though, like I said, some of them are quite substantial, uh, meaning we, we have over a thousand excavated graves. Um, uh, well, in the case of Alfadena, that's we have 1,200 excavated graves. So that might seem a, a substantial number, but the fact is, you know, that only represents a small fraction. In all likelihood, it only represents a small fraction of the communities that were present in, in Iron Age Samnium, in, in the Iron Age um, mountains of central Italy. So, so this, um, I think it's important to point this out before we get to the details, because it, um, it cautions us against generalizing too much, right, on the basis of such a small sample. Um, and also because, as we will see, um, it's very likely that the people who created and used these cemeteries, even the bigger ones like Alfadena, which you know has, um, like I said, 1,200 excavated graves, these people might have belonged to the upper echelons of Iron Age society. So that's an it's it's an important thing to remember. Do you have the notion that there are more cemeteries? Samnium cemeteries that are in existence today, but just haven't been found? Oh yeah, I think that's, that's a possibility. Uh, uh, but I would say that it's even more likely that the cemeteries that we do know about, such as Alphadena, have not been um, completely excavated. So there's, there, you know, there, I, my guess is that they were actually bigger than, uh, than the portions that have, that have been excavated. Um, so, so that that I would say is the um, is, is what's most likely. So we know of we know that there were at least twelve hundred burials, twelve hundred graves at Alfadena, but but in all likelihood there 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 are lots more that haven't been you know that haven't been systematically excavated yet. If anyone's listening and uh, is interested in actually um, visiting um, something like this, so to, to to, to, to do something different than what would be a, like a typical Italian tour and, and go into the mountains and and uh, see some of this this stuff is there is there actually like a museum in the Apennine mountains for for some of this stuff or is there any um, formal archaeological sites that people can visit and, and and see some of this stuff that you're speaking about oh yeah there are loads loads of museums um, in, uh, you normally get them in the uh, provincial capitals. So Alfadena, for, ex for example, is located in the province of Chieti. Uh, so if you go to the city of Chieti, which is the capital of the province, um, you have the Chieti Archaeological Museum. Usually every provincial capital has its own archaeological museum, and it contains like the archaeological heritage from the province, from different parts of the province. So uh, most of the, most if not all of the material from Alfadena, from this um, Iron Age Samnite necropolis, is currently housed in the in the Archaeological Museum of Chieti. It's a wonderful place. It's a, it's a beautiful 
um, building, and um, and it it's just it's got this marvelous collection, and so I would highly recommend if people are interested in knowing more about Alfadena and other Iron Age Samnite um, or proto Samnite uh, cemeteries, uh, Kieti is definitely the place to go. Also, uh, further south in the the province of Campobasso, the archaeological museum of Campobasso houses the material that was excavated in the province of Campobasso, which is another big portion of this uh, region that we call Samnium. So I would recommend those two museums, Chieti and Campobasso. Okay. It, would it be possible, Raphael, um, for, for you to send me a, a couple, I, I presume they have websites, but so that I have the spelling um, correctly. Would it be possible to send me a couple of those um, links, and then I can drop them in the show notes for anyone who's who's interested in learning more about those uh, places? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay, that'd be great. Thank you, Raphael. Okay, so so based on this this evidence, can you can you share more about what scholars know about Samnites in the Iron Age? Oh, absolutely. So, like I said, there are lots of um. Um, different issues that we can address uh, based on the funerary evidence. One of these is um, kinship, uh, one of the ones that I mentioned. So on one level, the way in which these Iron Age cemeteries were organized spatially already seems to indicate that kinship was very important in that culture. For example, in most of these cemeteries, Alphadena included, the graves are more or less clearly separated into different groups or clusters, as I call them. Normally, these clusters um, are made up of concentric circles of graves, which may originally have been burial mounds. And they include anywhere between, between 10 and 50 graves. And there are many interesting things about them, about these clusters. Uh, they all seem to contain more or less equal numbers of men and women of different ages, as well as some children. Uh, of course, we can't totally be sure about these identifications of biological sex uh, and age, and I'll talk a little, bit about, a, a little bit more about that later on. But let's just say that, as far as we can tell, none of these burial clusters that make up these Iron Age cemeteries seem to be exclusively made up of one particular gender, right, or one particular age group. Rather, they seem to be a mix, uh, which is one reason why these clusters might correspond to um, to what we might call extended family groups. You know, currently, that's our best guess, anyway. Back in the 1980s, a study was done on a sample of skeletons from one of the larger cemeteries, uh, again, the cemetery of Alphadena. And what they concluded was that the people buried in the same cluster tended to show similarities uh, in their mor morphometric traits. Um, such as you know, similar measurements for certain bones. So this kind of study is always obviously open to criticism, especially in a field such as physical anthropology, that uh, you know where new new techniques are um, uh, they, they supersede earlier ones at a very quick rate. Anyhow, if we assume that the burial clusters are familial in nature, uh, there are different ways that we can interpret this. One is to conclude that these, um, these Iron Age communities were organized along kinship lines, which is the kind of situation where a person's social status is determined by their position 
in an extended family group, uh, an extended family structure or household, if you will. And this is the kind of scenario where you have like the head of the household at the top. And depending on how closely related you are to this person, you'll have um, you know, a greater or lesser standing in society in terms of the power that you know, the influence that you can exert uh, over others. So it's not too different. If I were to make like a far-flung comparison, uh, it's not too different from the type of social organization that seems to be depicted, for example, in the Homeric poems, right? The Homeric poems of ancient Greece, where each of the, you know, the Achaean nobles, like Odysseus, Achilles, etc., each of these people like is the head of a household that includes, um, as you know, like retain retainers and dependents of various kinds, including their wives and children. So, so that's one comparison that we can make. Um, in talking about the importance of kinship, we already started discussing social structure, right? So I'm just going to get on to that. Um, and again, this is something that the spatial organization of, of the these Iron Age symmetries can inform us about, or at least they can help us come up with some hypotheses. Remember I said just now that um, many of these symmetries are divided into like different circular clusters of graves. One interesting thing is that uh, those cemeteries which are closer to the uh, region that Greek and Roman authors would come to, would later describe as Samnium or Samnite country, uh, and then Alphadena is, is one of these sites that I'm talking about, um, they, they tend to include these circular clusters where the central area, like that is the space that's at the very center of the circle, was apparently left unoccupied, right? And, and that is, there doesn't seem to have been any chief or principal tomb at the center of these clusters. Uh, obviously, we, we can't say this with absolute certainty, but if it's true, uh, it would constitute a potentially important trait that would seem to single out these Samnite, um, these Iron Age Samnite cemeteries, or better yet, these Iron Age cemeteries of Samnium, from uh, from the ones in neighboring areas where where there clearly were large tombs at the center of circular burial clusters. So in other words, the circular burial clusters are not exclusive to the Samnium cemeteries. You do get them in, in other cemeteries of Iron Age Italy, um, especially further north. But one thing that does seem to be different is that the ones in, in what in the region that later was, you know, was to be called Samnium, seem to have this this feature where the central area is uh, was apparently left unoccupied. Um, and if I were to speculate, you know, I could say that this might be an indication that people in Samnium weren't really keen to, you know, single out any specific individuals from the rest of the group. Right? Um, but instead, they chose to emphasize the collective a bit more than the individual um, through the way in which they positioned their dead in the landscape, which, which is interesting because it might you know, point to a kind of um, egalitarian ideology or egalitarian ethos uh, that might have been at work. 
which is something I, I've, um, I've talked about a little bit in, in you know, things that I've published. And, um, and I, I still hope to focus more um, it, on, on that in my own research. So, so um, saying that a diff- another way, is, is it that there's been no evidence based on the, um, the, the way that the, um, the tombs have been laid out that there was sovereigns, there, that there was an individual sovereign of, of, of the community? Exactly, exactly. That's very well put. That's more or less the idea. But again, it's, it's risky to generalize, like I said at the beginning. So these are, you know, at best, these are hypotheses, right? Um, uh, we do, I mean, one thing that's interesting is that um, we do, like in the later period, after the, the Iron Age, when we start to hear about the Samnites in the historical sources, we, we have references to certain Samnite individuals being appointed um, as supreme commanders, shall we say, uh, in the context of the wars with Rome. But it's, uh, you know, it, it's the sort of thing that leads you to think, that leads one to believe that that might have been the exception to the rule because it was, a, you know, it was a complete conflagration and they were at war. So in wartime, they may have, you know, at least in the later period, we know that that's a possibility. They, they, they may have chosen, like singled out, a supreme commander in wartime, but you know that, like I said, that might have been the exception. Uh, and when there wasn't, you know, a, a large-scale war going on, they may have um, resorted to a different type of political, social, and political organization that didn't involve a sovereign, as you said. Okay. What do you want to cover next? Well, um, there's. Um, uh, some stuff, you know, we can talk a little about a little bit about the grave assemblages, like the uh, the objects that were um, were deposited mm-hmm. in these uh, in these graves. Mm-hmm. Like so, so, when we start to look at it, when we start to look inside these graves, um, the sort of objects that we find, um, what archaeologists call grave assemblages, how they were built, um, how the graves themselves were built. Uh, with what materials? You know, once we start looking at that, we start to we start to form a more nuanced picture. Yeah? So, when it comes to grave goods, uh, there's this general tendency for us to assume that these objects somehow relate to beliefs about the afterlife, right? Uh, as in, the grave goods are objects that would have been objects that the deceased person would have needed in the afterlife. Uh, and I think that we tend to assume that because of what we know about ancient Egypt, yeah, um, where we have written texts that um, tell us about beliefs in the afterlife, etc., which you know is a topic that really stimulates people's imagination. But the fact is that we we don't really have any written sources about Samnite beliefs in the afterlife. So again, it might be risky to make assumptions. Um, so instead, what archaeologists normally do is uh, they assume that the grave could somehow relate to the identity of the deceased person uh, and the social status or role that this person may have uh, had in life. And also, another thing that archaeologists, including myself, well, I'm more of a historian than archaeologist, but still, one thing that people tend to, to assume is that the burial ritual itself 
was an opportunity for uh, the families of the deceased individuals to make certain statements um, about themselves before like before like an audience um, that would have been present during the uh, the burial ritual like the onlookers so for example by setting up a really fancy burial with lots of flashy grave goods uh, the family of the deceased person might um, might have made a state statement about their own social position in the community so that's the ways that's the way in which um, grave goods are generally approached and that's just sort of like the basic approach the, the two two basic kinds of approach to grave goods in like archaeology generally but when we look at these cemeteries in samnium um, from the iron age it would seem that when you get to around 700 bc again remembering what i said about the low resolution thing when we get to around 700 bc we start to see some burials that um begin to begin to look more lavish uh, and more expensive than the rest right? and this is seen as evidence of increasing social stratification in these communities which is interesting because it's something that happens at the same time in uh, in the cemeteries in other parts of italy at around that time um in uh, in the case of the cemeteries in samium these uh, burials start to feature things like bronze pieces of armor mostly breastplates uh, which are sometimes decorated with uh, what appear to be like fantastic animals um of mythical animal, mythical creatures possibly um also swords daggers as well as uh, you know more refined pieces of jewelry made of amber or glass so that kind of thing and one thing that's really interesting though um is that the level of display that we find in the wealthier burials in samnium from 700 onwards it never comes close to the sort of ostentation sort of unbridled ostentation that we find in neighboring regions of italy um at around the same time so, so regions such as campania etruria and, and latium even where obviously where roman was located um, and these in these other regions you get these enormously lavish tombs around this period like between 700 and 600 bc you get these absurdly lavish tombs that are architecturally much more sophisticated than those uh, you know those simple rectangular pits that i that i said are, are the, the, your, your typical samnite uh, or proto-samnite tomb um and uh and these these uh, these lavish tombs in in etruria campania latium they, they include things like gold and silver tableware um, elaborate really elaborate bronze vessels like cauldrons uh, and sometimes they uh, they contain things like gold and silver um, well even whole chariots and um, and other types of riding gear so this is the sort of thing that we find in uh, in the 7th and 6th century BC in uh, among the Etruscans among the Latins like if you go to Cervetti for example you'll you'll see what I mean um, the communities of Samnium, however, they never seem to have practiced that level of wealth display in, in cemeteries. And that's either because they, uh, they couldn't afford to, or it may have been also because of cultural reasons. 
which which ties in with what I said just now about the possible existence of some form of egalitarian ideology or egalitarian ethos, at least among the people who used the cemeteries, which, as I said, you know, represent only a small fraction of, of the population. Um, so you get scholars, for example, um, who think that already in the Iron Age, uh, the people in Samnium already showed uh, a distinct cultural preference for austerity, right? Uh, which is something that the later Greek and Roman authors do often note as a, you know, as a distinctive feature of the Samnites. They don't universally do that, but some authors do associate the Samnites with, with austerity or like a rough, a really rough lifestyle. Um, but it's also likely that, you know, these communities in Samnium were indeed a lot poorer than, than the Etruscans uh, between 700 and 500 BC. And this, uh, this would again be in keeping with the kinds of descriptions that we, uh, that we find in, in the later Greek and Roman sources, which uh, describe the Samnites as being, you know, really poor uh, or, or at least less, less prosperous than, uh, than the Etruscans or, or the Campanians you know, who lived in the, in the coastal plains, which, which indeed were more suited to agriculture and therefore might have been wealthier. Um, and, uh, and indeed it would seem that you know, the tensions between the Samnites and their, like these wealthier Etruscan cities in Campania, you have to remember that at the time, like um, towards the end of the Iron Age, or the, well, the Samnite Iron Age, you get Etruscans settling Campania sort of around 600 uh, to 500 BC. So, it, and it would seem that tensions between the, uh, the communities in Samnium and these wealthier Etruscan neighbors in Campania um, intensified and might have come to a head at around the, the end of the 6th and early 5th centuries BC. But that's another story. Okay. So, and I think you said this, but I want to confirm this this point, Raphael. So there, there has been no uh, votive offerings found in any of the tombs? Well, that's an interesting question. I've never heard it quite, you know, put, put that way before, because when we talk about votive, artifacts, um, at least in the archaeological literature, it, it tends to be sort of assumed that these are objects that are not found in graves, like by definition. Um, but, that, but your question makes me rethink the whole thing. I mean, why couldn't they have placed votive like um, objects, objects that have votive qualities, that have religious qualities? Um, inside graves. I mean, that's that's definitely a possibility. But what's difficult is that we just don't really know much about what would have been the beliefs, you know, and, and the um, the religious practices at the time, because we don't really have any written sources at all uh, that that might shed some light on that. So that makes it really difficult. Uh, so 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 to put it another way, it is possible that some of these grave goods did have religious connotations, did have votive significance, but, but we just, it's just really difficult to recover that. Anything else that you want to share based on the evidence that's known or inferred about 
men in Samnium in the Iron Age, women in Samnium in the Iron Age, children in Samnium in the Iron Age. Anything, anything more that you want to share? Oh, there's lots more. I mean, it all depends on what other questions you have. I can just go on. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I mean, yeah, there's... Um, well, I'll ask, I'll ask a question. I'll ask a question then, Raphael. I'll, I'll, I'll narrow that in more. So you spoke about uh, men being buried, it sounded like, with um, certain armor. I think you mentioned in some cases, I think you used the term a dag or a sword, um, cer certain weapons. Um, so what were the main things that women were buried with and what, what's known or inferred about, um, about them in, in society in the Iron Age? Well, that's... Um that's a very good question. Uh, and to talk about that, I might just briefly mention an article that I published in 2014, where I analyzed a sample of, um, of tombs from Alphadena, which mostly seem to date from the sixth century BC, so roughly between 600 and 500. So there's, and that gives us a, a slightly narrower um, chronological focus. And in that article, I argued that um, as far as the sample was concerned, it would seem that only a small minority of tombs contained weapons and armor, right? So uh, that would mean that not every man was being buried with this kind of warrior paraphernalia, right? And I think that's an important point to make um, because oh, yeah, perhaps only a small, only a very select group of males uh, were selected for that kind of burial treatment. Uh, and to my mind, this raises the possibility that you know, objects like weapons and armor, like the bronze breastplates, the iron swords, the daggers, the, 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 the stuff that you just mentioned, all of that may have had, may have been symbolic, like we were, we were talking about the possible religious significance of these, these items. Um, but, but another possibility is that they symbolized some form of exclusive social status, right? Um, rather than um, a reflection of like the, a widespread warlike culture or uh, or ethos in Iron Age Samnium as a whole. Um, also, because there's one like there's there's an interesting there's another article um, that was published in two thousand seven. And it um, it analyzes again a sample of of, of uh, graves from Alphadena. Um, not exactly the same sample that I analyze in my my own article, but but it was basically this this group of you know American and Italian archaeologists who um, they they took a sample of skeletons from Alphadena, and they analyzed the sample for uh, for cranial lesions. And their study showed that um, the, the cranial lesions were four times more frequent among the men than the women, the, among the males uh, rather than the females, although it's, uh, it's possible that they had a smaller number of, of females in their sample. Uh, anyway, almost, almost half the lesions were apparently caused by blunt weapons such as clubs. Another 31% of the lesions were caused by bladed weapons like the daggers and swords, that kind of thing, and 22% and by projectiles. So, um, so it seems that um, you know, some, some, of this, uh, some of these people who were buried 
at Alcedena were exposed to some level of violence. And that would tie in with, uh, with the descriptions that we get about the Samnites, like the later Samnites being very aggressive and warlike. But then it's also important to remember that um, the, um, in, the, in this, uh, this 2007 study of the cranial lesions, um, these lesions were actually only present in a small percentage of the, the, the individuals that were sampled. So only 14% of the individuals that were identified as male had any lesions, and, and 7% of the ones identified as female had uh, lesions, in, like cranial lesions. So, um, so yeah, so that, um, so you might be thinking, well, how does that tie in with the, um, the great good situation? So to my mind, um, it, the, the grave goods are not necessarily a reflection, like the, the, the fact that we do get swords and, and armor and you know, daggers being buried in certain graves, it, it might indicate that certain you know, people of higher social standing used those kinds of objects to uh, portray a certain identity, like a warrior identity, that's, that's perfectly possible. But I think it's really important to look at the, like the, the other types of objects that turn up in these graves. And I think that ties in with your question. What other objects, uh, in addition to the, to the weapons, uh, which were not, again, they were not like the standard male uh, burial kit, um, apparently, because most of, the, most of the men were buried without any weapons or armor. So what other objects do we find? And what do they tell us, like both regarding the men and the women? Um, what do they tell us about, you know, the, the other social practices that would have been important, uh, other cultural activities that would have been important for these communities? Uh, I, one thing I think is important is that um, if there's one class of object right, that's really very common in the, uh, among the Alphadena tombs in particular, uh, it's pottery vessels, it's drinking vessels to be more precise. So most of the graves, like the vast majority, come with what I call a drinking set, right? which usually includes one larger vessel, like for storage, uh, or a large mixing vessel. So in Greece, you have the, you know, the, the crater. And in Samium, we get a, a large storage or, or mixing vessel, such as an amphora, or, um, and also smaller vessels, like cups for drinking. So just to wrap things up, um, it's, uh, it's interesting that these uh, vessels, these vessel sets, seem to be distributed more or less equally among the men and women, and as far as we can tell. Uh, and it's, it's important to remember that in antiquity, drinking could be a really important social activity, right, that served to like, strengthen social bonds and that kind of thing. Uh, for example, if somebody hosted a feast and provided drink, uh, that would mean that the guests were expected to reciprocate at some point in the future. That's the thing that also turns up in you know, archaic Greek literature, for example. Uh, but if, if you have a situation where guests were incapable of reciprocating, then um, yeah, because they couldn't afford it, then these people would have been indebted to the host. You know, they would have to do things like work for free or provide military service. So this is what anthropologists um, who study so-called pre-state societies, uh, that's what they call engineered indebtedness. Uh, so what I mean by this um, is that there was probably a whole political dimension to drinking. 
in, in ancient um, prehistoric societies, you know, and, and the societies of Iron Age Samnium are possibly included in that group. You know, when, when, for example, when we consider uh, that the Iron Age communities of Samnium would still have been, you know, it, it wouldn't be completely far off to describe them as a pre-state society. Then, uh, you know, we, we, we'd have all the more reason to suppose that the, the leading individuals or the chiefs, if you will, would have had to constantly negotiate their authority and their status, possibly by, by doing things like hosting, you know, feasting events in exchange for loyalty uh, and manpower. So that might explain um, why we see such a strong emphasis on feasting and drinking paraphernalia in the tombs um, at Alphadena and other Iron Age uh, cemeteries in Samnium, which is not to say that warfare was not prominent or not important. Indeed, as, as I was saying, uh, once we start to get to the end, to the close of the Iron Age and into the fifth century, we do have a context in which warfare seems to be rampant, right? And that, but that's that's another story. Okay. A lot of topics on the show because the show covers um, Bronze Age and then and then works its way later later from from there. It, a lot of the topics rely on written record, um, archaeological record in terms of buildings and such to have a uh, a conversation today that predominantly relies on funerary evidence. I found a very interesting um, exercise to go through and to have this uh, this dialogue. Uh, Raphael, so thank you. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing more about who the Samnites were in the Iron Age. Well, thank you, Andrew, for inviting me. Always a pleasure. So again, everybody, the monograph that I mentioned at the start of the episode that Dr. Scopacasa wrote, he's author of Ancient Samnium, Settlement, Culture, and Identity Between History and Archaeology. I'll drop a link to this book, and I'll also drop links to the few sites in Italy that Dr. Scopacasa mentioned during the episode today in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Raphael and everybody listening, as always, wishing a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.